joining us today. Um, this is our final virtual presentation. For those of us, uh, for those of you, excuse me, who have um, been with us um, from the first one, I'm so glad that you were able to, to stay through this. Um, and we really enjoyed speaking uh, with us. So, um, and thanks for working with us as we figured out all of the all of the details. So before Craig starts, I just want to take a minute to introduce ourselves. Um, so Mary Beth in the center and Kathy on the right, they are our directors of community relations. And their focus is you and helping guide you in your decisions too. Um, I'm Amanda, I'm a moving coordinator, and I help streamline the moving process. As a locally owned company called Sage Life, our mission is to create the best home for each member of the Sage Life family every day by encouraging, empowering, and celebrating successful evening. Safe care is the basis of our four values, and Safe Life, uh, Safe Life Associates work as a team, give exceptional service, maintain a commitment to the Sage community, anticipate resident needs, respect our residents, their family and friends, and each other, and exercise competence. Um, our residents are our number one priority, and during these unsettled times, they're telling us that they are happy to live among friends and feel safe in their homes. Um, although we cannot welcome guests to our community at this moment, that doesn't mean that your planning has to come to an end. Um, so we are able to talk and tour our community virtually. Just contact us to make the arrangements. And of course, you can still join our priority list. Um, not only will joining give you special perks, it will also give you peace of mind knowing that you have a plan in place. And again, we are available by phone or virtual support. We look forward to hearing from you. So I'm going to go ahead and pass this over to Craig. Um, he will start a presentation. I will just ask that um, everyone um, keep themselves muted throughout the presentation. And um, if you have any questions, please just use the uh, chat function. We'll be able, we'll have a QA and um, at the end of this where you can either use your microphone to talk um, and, um, sorry, we have things are popping up. Um, we'll use the chat function or you can use your microphone to ask questions. Um, so Craig, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you. Excellent. Thank you so much, Amanda. <laughs> Really pleased to be here and uh, hopefully um, can answer some of your questions today and provide some value in planning for both income, uh, healthcare expenses during retirement, and some light estate planning items as well. Um, as we get into this, um, I'll ask you a question first. This certainly is a, an important uh, time, it's an important topic particularly now because of the collective immobility during the COVID-19 pandemic. So I'd like to start off by asking, how are you feeling about your current financial position? Uh, are you feeling confident? Do you feel good knowing about the, the fees that you're paying for financial management? Are you getting good value? Do you even know how much you're paying? Many people don't. And is your current plan predictable and reliable. So rhetorical for now, because I know many are on mute just because of background noise, but I'll ask you to self-evaluate. Uh, how do you feel about your financial well-being? Today we're talking about resources. Largely, that includes 
limited resources, limited time, limited amounts of money, no matter how much you have, there's always a limit to it. Uh, health, we're somewhat vulnerable always about health occurrences and expenses that might go with them. And it sounds different to talk about the risk of longevity, but we'll talk a little bit about both lifespan and health span. Lifespan meaning the number of years and health span meaning the quality of those years. Money, time, health, and longevity. It's AARP that reports the number one concern of retirees today is outliving their savings. No one knows what will happen in the future. Your health and your family's health, as well as the expenses that come with a health event, uh, can be a major risk that causes plans to fail. When I say plans to fail, upon retirement, an income plan is structured, presuming that that money will last a lifetime. Unexpected expenses can often cause more money to be spent more quickly, and that causes people to run out of money too soon, then relying only on Social Security and sometimes Medicaid at the end in extreme scenarios. I'm so sorry to interrupt you. Um, are, do you have your presentation on the screen? Because I, I don't think I gave you this. Oh, I don't see it? Here. No. All right. Let me back up because when I opened my presentation, all I could see is the presentation itself and not the screen. So let me, let me see if I may. Oh, I know why. Because I need to recapture the presenter role. And let me back up and start this here. Everyone. This was the question about how you feel. So we covered we covered that. You heard what I said, but uh, didn't see that. Uh, this is the money, time, health, and longevity. Are you seeing the slides now? No, still not seeing. Still not seeing the slides. No. All right. Like you said, this is a new format for us. Oh, here we go. Two more clicks. We're all learning. And I'm going to allow one more guest into the room that was patiently waiting, so thank you for that. One more time. Are you seeing the screen? We do see it now, yeah. All right. There we go. All right. All right. Uh, so I'm Craig Lytle. My firm is Income and Estate Planning Partners, founded in 2008. We're an independent firm representing our clients. Um, I'm not sure if someone's trying to join the room, so let me check that quickly. The beeps, no. Okay, we're good. All right. When we're talking about uh, the scarce scarcity of resources, you heard what I said, money, time, health, longevity, that's just the visual that goes along with it. It's the concern of many people about uh, potentially outliving their income and running out of money too soon. I'll talk a little bit about that in um, in, in just a moment. Um, many uh, statistics and things I'm, I'm using today are, are from government agencies, AARP, and I'll certainly um, point them out along the way and share them with you if you're interested in knowing more um, than we cover today, just at a relatively high level. But the the point that I want to drive out here is that while some of our resources are scarce, with time and money in particular, the uncertainty of what our health will look like in the years ahead, and the uncertainty of how long we will live and the quality of life while we're living, 
The major problem is, due to those uncertainties, we have some inefficiencies. And what I mean by that is there's two general camps. There are a class of people who save, 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 just in case they might need the money later. Of course, that's inefficient, and they're depriving themselves of joy, in many cases, for fear that they might need money later. The other side is there are people, and you may know some, who spend the money too quickly and don't have sufficient reserves for any contingency. They're li living literally on, on the edge or on the rail, and any, any expense can cause them to uh, run out of money too, too quickly, and any unexpected expense, in particular a health event. Uh, and both of those are inefficient, and both of those are risks, right? So we'll talk a little bit about what to do with that. Different seasons of our life cause us to prioritize things differently. Of course, there's an accumulation phase. The accumulation phase, in this season, building the nest egg is the priority. Saving, trying to grow the principal. Uh, typically during this season in life, when a statement comes in the mail or you're looking at your account online, one of the first things that most people will tend to do is look at the account balance now in comparison with the last statement period. The goal there, of course, is to see that the account is growing larger, larger, larger as we're putting money into it and saving to accumulate this nest egg with the purpose that one day we'll turn the corner, turn the corner meaning stop putting money in and start to take money out. Turn the corner in this season of life, distribution is typically the goal, where we're prioritizing income as opposed to accumulation or growing. Now this distribution phase is vulnerable and the, and the rules change a little bit here, where along the way while we're accumulating, uh, things like uh, volatility in prices may not be harmful and in some cases might be helpful. It's certainly not helpful during distribution when we have uh, volatility. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Preservation, essentially keeping that which you've saved, uh, can also be inefficient because interest rates are so low, not even enough today to meet inflation. So there's some risk there, even with money that's set aside to be safe. Preservation can also mean estate preservation, uh, structuring things in such a way that when you're done with these assets, that they can go to the people and places that you deem to be worthy as efficiently as possible with uh, as little delay, stress, and reduction in value, probate costs, things of that nature, as possible. So after all, the point of saving is to take money out later and or to direct it with control to people and places that you want it to go. Financial independence is the reward for deferred gratification. And when income becomes more of a priority than growing the principal balance, the rules of the game have changed. Uh, allocation adjustments, close inspection of fees and charges, and then structuring income tranches. Uh, tranches meaning um, periods of time in this example where we might uh, uh, set up income that we intend to take between age 70 and 75, 75 and 80, 80 and 85, and so on. These tranches then would allow us to determine how those dollars should be positioned while they're waiting to come out so that they're prepared at the right time to be liquid and working on your behalf uh, until that time when you need to take the distribution.
subtle adjustments like that can make all the difference between a successful income plan and one that fails. These next two slides, I'll toggle back and forth here. They're the same information. This one shows monthly expenses. The next shows them annualized. Both come from the Genworth study called the Cost of Care Survey that was completed in 2019. Here you can see the costs of in-home care, community and assisted living care, nursing home facilities, and in particular, the percentage increase over 2018, I think is worth taking note. This is specific to Malvern, Pennsylvania. I have the ability to change the zip code and look at different places around the country or simply look at national averages. So for someone that wanted to compare uh, maybe a hometown where they grew up or a city that they lived in for part of their life in comparison with where they are now, uh, know that costs can and do vary greatly from one place to another. So these are numbers that are relatively recent and relatively close to home. Again, they come from the Genworth Costs of Care Survey. If you'd like to have a copy of that full report, uh, at the end I'll show you uh, how to communicate with me. I'll be glad to send that over to you. So once more, I just put the, the monthly numbers and then the annual numbers. Basic economics suggests the law of supply and demand. And as baby boomers in the population uh, proceeds through their retirement years, demand for quality care is expected to surge. And so I don't believe these costs will likely come down anytime soon if they continue at these rates of increase like they did from 2018 to 2019. You can see where that is a relatively major threat to retirement income plans for those who are relatively young and relatively healthy today. Tim, I'm calling this guy Tim, Tim, T-I-M, taxes, inflation, and market volatility, Tim, taxes, T for taxes, I for inflation, and M for market volatility, and I'll tell you once again that Tim is not your friend. Taxes, historically speaking, the U.S. income tax rates are today historically low. Many people believe that taxes will increase in the future no matter which party is in office, because of the circumstances that we're facing as a nation. It's also a reason why so many people believe that the 401k or pre-tax IRAs are the most efficient vehicle to accumulate that nest egg we spoke of earlier. And it's true that on the accumulation side, pre-tax savings is very, very compelling because of the tax-deferred compounding of interest and growth. There's a premise then that suggests that many expect that they'll be in a lower tax bracket during retirement years than they were during their working years. When that happens, pre-tax dollars are efficient, but sometimes that premise turns out to be false. And we're somewhat at the mercy of Congress that if income tax rates should rise, and they may, 
then there's no recourse other than to pay ordinary income taxes when those dollars come out of pre-tax accounts. And so there's some reduction in principal value uh, just based on the tax burden for uh, income taxes. Inflation at the moment is a very low risk. In fact, today many say that deflation may be more of an immediate concern, but over time, inflation can and does uh, impact purchasing power. It's possible that the inflation rates may revert to a long-term historical mean. Many on the call may remember the days when uh, inflation rates were double digits, much, much higher than, uh, than they are today. In fact, we've had very mild inflation for several years, or it's in, in some cases been relatively uh, unnoticeable. Of late, uh, many are noticing the inflation impact. Uh, for example, when going to the grocery store, certainly grocery prices have increased um, more so than perhaps other areas in our economy uh, in contrast to things like, for instance, gasoline prices, which have come down. Just as an example. So inflation will impact your real rate of return, and because of that, will impact the sustainable distribution rate. For many, many years, the rule of thumb was a 4% distribution rate should be sustainable for most people most of the time. Recently, the American College in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania, revised those numbers to say 4.0 has been reduced to 2.3 as the suggested sustainable distribution rate. So translating that into just plain language, for every $1 million in the nest egg, that would mean $23,000 of annual income. Keep in mind that if it's coming out of an IRA or pre-tax 401k, that's gross $23,000. For many people, not nearly enough. And so when I say inflation uh, can be a threat long-term, that's where that's coming from. Market volatility also. So far this year, we've been all over the place with market volatility, depending on how the uh, nest egg is uh, positioned. Some assets may be more volatile than others, but it's a risk for many people who are still allocated in such a way where principal values will fluctuate up and down. For those who have accumulated savings and things like mutual funds, um, and then turn to income by redeeming some of those shares. While markets are growing, it's not necessarily a terrible thing, but during periods of decline, more shares are necessary to be sold in order to provide the same amount of income. And once those shares are gone, they're gone. So this slide is the S&P 500. You can see it dates back to 1996 and goes all the way through April 30th of this year. So what do you notice? I know you're on mute. If you'd like to talk, you can unmute and talk with us. I'll point out a few things in the meantime. There's quite a bit of information on this page. Some of it might be useful and some of it might influence you to relook at your current arrangements, evaluate them and determine whether they still make as much sense today as they did when you first got them. 
Look, for example, at the top of your page, the 10-year Treasury note. In March of 2000, the 10-year Treasury yielded 6.2%. Today, the 10-year Treasury yields less than 1%. point that out because the Treasury is deemed to be the risk-free, quote-unquote, risk-free rate of return. While inflation has been low, not that low, right? So over time, purchasing power begins to erode when grocery prices are higher and your yields aren't quite high enough to allow the dollar to buy as much as it used to. So longevity risk is very real. More people are living beyond age 100 than ever before. And at the same time, the life expectancy rate has actually decreased, which is somewhat confusing, right? We have um, a pocket of the population or a segment of the population who's living longer lives than ever before. But at the same time, the average is reducing. Some factors to explain that include the opioid epidemic, obesity rates, uh, suicide rates, and now uh, deaths due to coronavirus also. So averages are misleading. If someone has their head in the oven and their feet in the freezer, it would be a stretch to say that on average, the temperature is comfortable. So while we're having people live beyond age 100, at the same time people dying young, the average life expectancy has started to come down a bit. But if you're not careful and you use the averages, that can contribute to someone who is healthy and lives longer than the average, that their money needs to last just as long as they do. And the risk there is if not careful, uh, the money may run out too soon. For those who are living longer, they're living much longer. And with the longer length of time, the more likely for a diminished mobility, which is the person's need for help, just conducting any normal activities uh, and the expenses due to their declining health. At the end of last year, December 19th, the SECURE Act was signed became law December 20th. It impacts people who are otherwise required to take minimum distributions out of IRAs. This year that requirement has been waived. So if you would normally have to take a required minimum distribution, you may not want that distribution, you may not need that distribution. And this year, uniquely, uh, you may choose to not take the distribution. Also, normally required minimum distributions would start at age 70 and a half. The SECURE Act pushed that start date back to age 72. So depending on your birthday, if you were planning to start taking re required minimum distributions and you're younger than age 62, you may not have to take those distributions until you reach age six, uh, 72 rather. 
where it was 70 and a half, now it's 72 to begin taking required minimum distributions. Um, a couple other things I wanna point out here is retirement plans. If you're still working and have a 401k, for example, the limit to borrow from the 401k has been increased to $100,000 or 100% of the balance, whichever is lower. That means someone might take a loan and not have a taxable income so long as they pay back into their own retirement plan, accessing some of those dollars for their use without increasing their tax burden. For those who are younger than 59 and a half years of age, penalty-free withdrawals have been made available. Essentially, the, the SECURE Act will um, make more funds available to more people uh, by the way, the SECURE Act is an acronym which represents setting every community up for retirement enhancement. SECURE, S-C-C-U-R-E, setting every community up for retirement enhancement. The stretch IRA has been eliminated. So a beneficiary previously could take required minimum distributions over their life expectancy but now must take the inherited money out within the first 10 years. So that means the beneficiary could take one lump sum the day before the 10th anniversary, but the government wants to tax this money. Ordinary income tax rates are applied in the tax year that the money comes out of the IRA and is received by the beneficiary. So most of the time, people take some money each year in order to spread out the tax consequences of the uh, inherited funds. Lifetime income from 401k, the SECURE Act placed into the law the ability for retirement plans to offer guaranteed income for life for those retirement plan participants, much like we used to have in the older days more commonly with the defined benefit pension plans. So income annuities may be used in retirement plans to provide participants with that guaranteed lifetime income. 529 plans generally are used for education, typically for post-secondary education. They may now be used to help pay for student loans. So the impact there is they might have a couple extra years time where a student might take student loans, leaving the 529 untouched until later, and then drawing upon it to settle those student loans. It's also an interesting tool for grandparents who would like to potentially give money to a grandchild for their use in education funds without relinquishing control of those dollars. Did you know that a grandparent may remove money from their taxable estate? place it into a 529 plan for a grandchild and maintain control of that account during their lifetime as the account owner or custodian. When it's done that way, it does not interfere with the student's ability to apply for FAFSA, the free application for student financial aid. Unlike if the parent owns the asset, then it's assessed differently when calculating what's called the expected family contribution. An interesting provision with the SECURE Act now allows 529 plan withdrawals to go towards student loans.
More recently, you may have heard news about the CARES Act. The CARES Act was passed in March in response to the coronavirus. It's over $2 trillion of aid. The stimulus, um, tax, um, tax stimulus, up to $1,200 per adult and $500 per child, uh, capping at $3,400 for a family of four, family of four in the form of economic impact payments. This is the, uh, the, the news that you may have heard of um, uh, people checking on irs.gov to see about their uh, uh, refund, for lack of a better term. It's uh, an advance on a, a tax credit for um, individuals, tax-paying individuals and, and dependent children. The Paycheck Protection Program, this is the program for small businesses providing up to eight weeks of payroll costs, uh, an effort to try to help uh, reduce unemployment rates, keep small businesses viable uh, through this uh, shutdown, uh, sheltering in place and quarantine, as many are calling it, have so been very, very disruptive to small businesses uh, and the people who work for them. So the Paycheck Protection Plan uh, is designed to help provide that liquidity to get through at least part of this uh, period of time, eight weeks worth uh, of uh, payroll costs. Tax credits for employee retention, payroll tax deferral, and the U.S. Treasury will make uh, payments from a $150 billion coronavirus relief fund to eligible states, local and tribal governments for uh, necessary expenses just to keep things again uh, viable with the uh, liquidity. This slide shows a checklist. It's a one-page document. I'd be glad to send it to you if you'd like to see it or like to have a copy, maybe even keep it with your important papers. But it's a checklist that would be useful for an executor to go through reducing stress, providing confidence and peace of mind to know that they've been responsible and covered what needs to be covered after the death of a loved one. Obviously, this can be a very emotional time, a very stressful time, one of grieving, and also one of large uncertainty. Uh, today, we're in an era of electronic delivery, uh, very secure passwords. Um, someone might not know where accounts are held, they know where accounts are held. They may not know how to access them. It can be a period that's very, very uh, difficult and stressful. This checklist has been put together uh, to try to ease the burden of someone who's in that role when the time comes uh, to go through and uh, know what needs to be done and where to go to find some resources to help them to do what they need to do. This is a screenshot of a book that I published just about a year ago. Uh, it's titled The Sandwich Generation, uh, initially to help families address important decisions about income during retirement, paying for healthcare expenses, deciding when insurance might be a solution, 
estate planning tactics, much more. Um, each chapter is 10 pages or fewer and ends with an action item checklist. It will help readers affirm what they've already done is useful and that they're on the right track. It will also expose items that maybe they didn't know needed to be done or remind them to go ahead and put them on the to-do list and get them done. It's full of useful and mostly free resources uh, for people to learn more. It's also in book form uh, primarily because many people want to remain confidential with their health and finances. Many would like to remain anonymous and not necessarily have a conversation with anyone else until they're ready. And so this is meant to be a resource and a guide. Uh, so whether you're a do-it-yourselfer or not, this can be a useful resource and it also makes a great gift, particularly when it might be awkward to talk with family, at least at first, about private matters such as health and money. If you are on social media, Facebook, uh, please find me there. The Sandwich Generation has a group page where at least a few times each week we're providing useful updates with posts and resources there. Income and Estate Planning Partners also has a group page on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn if you'd like to connect through LinkedIn. Or if you're an email or a phone person, I put the information there how to reach me through email. It's simply my name, Craig at CraigLytle.com. You can call the office, 722-6000 in the 302 area code. The office is on Kirkwood Highway in, in Delaware. I'm a resident of Southern Chester County, Pennsylvania, calling today from my home as we're uh, still shut down through June 1st. And my mobile number, 302-373-0592. If you're someone who likes to text, that's a great number, 3730592, to use for texting. So you may call or text to my mobile number as well. We've covered a lot of information in this webinar. It went fairly quickly, and I understand it's kind of like a fire hose with information. You may have captured some of it, and some might have gone right on by. But if you have questions or would like to uh, request copies of what we covered today, the slide deck, the checklist, the Genworth study, to name a few, uh, just connect with me at any one of those sources. And we have some time here. If uh, you have questions for me, I'll be glad to take them. I'm going to say, if, you, if you'd like to speak, um, please go ahead and unmute yourself. We'd love to hear your voices. Um, you can also use the chat function. It's located at the top. It should be the second button. Um, so if anyone has any questions, if you're shy, don't, don't want to ask it right now, that's absolutely fine. Again, um, Craig had his contact information up there. You can always um, you know, uh, contact one of us, and we can um, get you in contact with him. Oh. Any questions from anyone? Who's first? Greg, are you able to stop sharing your screen? It, it yeah. doubles back and makes everything a little bit slower. Perfect. Right. How's that? Perfect. Thank okay. you. Yeah, you bet. Some frequently asked questions are often around uh, whether to insure or to self-fund. Right. Um, there are different types of products that someone might think of in dealing with healthcare expenses through retirement. Uh, one of them might come as a surprise is actually life insurance. 
policies can pay for long-term care expenses, can pay for chronic illnesses, and many will allow for accelerated benefits due to a, uh, a, a terminal illness. So accelerated benefits might be uh, for terminal illness, uh, chronic illness, or for a long-term care event. Um, those policies are underwritten for life expectancy or mortality risks in comparison with a traditional health insurance cost, which is health-based underwriting. So someone might think um, because of their health situation that insurance wouldn't be available, uh, you might be surprised that one or the other uh, may consider risks differently than what you've been used to. It was, of all things, 2006 during the Pension Protection Act that made those provisions available inside insurance contracts. I saw a text about RMDs potentially being eliminated in the future. My crystal ball is fuzzy, but what I can tell you is that the RMDs have been eliminated for 2020. That much I know. Um, stay tuned for what's coming next. Would RMDs be eliminated in the future? Um, I don't know. I can say that uh, the system will require tax revenue. We are in a situation where the uh, national deficit is growing. And so to waive future required minimum distribution would mean that the government is foregoing income from the collection of tax on those distributions. So if that should happen, the money will have to come from somewhere else. So that's possible. And I can't speak to any specifics around what might be in the future, but... Uh, uh, the money's gonna to have to come from somewhere. If not from the RMDs, then, then someplace else. It's a great question and thank you for it. Craig, I have a question. Um, for those who are looking um, at, at you know, moving to a community, um, oh. I, I missed it, it flashed and went away. I'm sorry? I don't know if you want to, another comment came in. Yes, yeah, I, I saw it flash, but it went away before I finished reading it. It said something about have to take RMDs this year, and then it zoomed off the it side says, of the screen. It says, we don't have to do our RMDs this year. What do you think about still taking money out of IRAs and using it for char charitable distributions? Um, not opposed to that at all. I think it's a fantastic thing, and the... the um, charitable organizations are, in, in many cases, in great need. They're doing great work and serving a purpose. If you're able to uh, cover the income tax and feel confident that you will be secure in your future income, then by all means, I think it's a fantastic thing to do. Um, on the flip side, if you're not confident um, taking money out but still like to support charitable organizations, um, I know many people, including myself, that um, uh, donate time uh, to, to go and serve in uh, nonprofits and charitable organizations. Uh, are they tax-free? They can be if they go directly. So that's a great question. They can go directly from your uh, IRA to the uh, tax-exempt organization. In that case, yes. Fantastic question. I'll go ahead and ask my question then. 
Um, just for those who um, are considering um, a move to, um, you know, Echo Lake or a place like that, uh, um, most people are probably already working with a financial advisor, a financial planner. Um, would you recommend maybe getting um, just a second opinion just to make sure, you know, everything's good to go and, and just for peace of mind? Yeah, I think it's much more of an art than a science. And so um, I heard someone say the other day that they thought they would never use algebra after school, after high school. But in some ways, retirement income planning is like algebra in the sense that there are some unknown variables. And I think that depending on what the assumptions are on any given day, you could make a case for being very, very secure and keep it the same and you can make a case for why some changes might be considered. Um, I like to call this a stress test, quote unquote. If everything goes the way that it is right now, what does it look like? And what happens if, you know, uh, a hypothetical scenario should present itself? And while you can't exhaust every possible scenario, I think you know your own circumstances well enough to say some things are more of a concern to you and the family than others, and you can talk with different professionals who might have a, a different perspective. And in the industry, there's controversy over, you know, what's best, quote unquote, what's best for the client. So you might have someone who comes from a legal perspective, someone who comes from a tax perspective, someone who comes from a wealth management or investment perspective, someone who comes from an insurance perspective, and so on. And each person may be very skillful in their craft, very experienced and doing what's best for the client, but with a different perspective. And so I think that there needs to be a relationship and some participation between the client and their advisor so that uh, checks and balances are in place and uh, individuals can kind of go into the fitting room and try it on and see how it feels, wear it around a little while and make sure it's something that they can live with. Because at the end of the day, the advisor moves on to another conversation with a different client, but the client, day after day, year after year, is living with their decisions. And I think um, much of the art comes into feeling confident that you've considered the important variables and come to a conclusion about how a decision in one category may have impact on another. Another question, what are your thoughts on um, uh, a rental community versus a buy-in community? Uh, personal preference, um, again, that, that could be very different uh, for a lot of people in terms of what they want to do and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, there's a cost-benefit either way. Uh, opportunity costs are what they are. If I, if I choose option A, then option B is not available because I can't do both. If you've ever been on, well, it's maybe not a great example for today, but I'm thinking of a, a cruise ship where all of the activities are happening simultaneously. Man, they all look really interesting. And if you choose to do one, then you have to forego the other and may catch that at a different time. Uh, much the same with uh, retirement years. There is a scarcity of time and money, and if you choose one thing, there are compromises either way. Okay. What about specifically for preserving assets? Is there one that you think would work better or just in general if that was somebody's goal to make sure that they had enough money to, to, to live out their years? 
Thank you for saying that. So earlier we talked about the inefficiencies of either saving money just in case you need it. Many times you don't and end up leaving it as an inheritance uh, or spending money too quickly and running out too soon. Um, for people who know that they would like to leave a certain amount to someone else in the form of an inheritance, uh, it's an honorable thing to do, but there are very general light estate planning techniques to set aside some of those resources, giving oneself permission to enjoy the, the others. Uh, sometimes that includes using insurance and sometimes it doesn't, uh, depending on the circumstances. But it reminds me to bring up the fact that so many people today have blended families. And this can be an issue where uh, there may be children from a previous relationship. Um, I'm aware of one in central Pennsylvania where the oldest child is roughly the same age as this gentleman's third wife. And if not careful, it's possible that uh, the assets intended to go to his children may not become available to them until the death of his spouse, which could be after the death of his children, potentially. No guarantee in, in, in that sense. And so sometimes uh, that question of preserving assets comes to for what purpose? Um, I don't want to say who cares in a condescending way, but uh, who cares about preserving those assets? Is it yourself that wants to preserve those assets or uh, someone who will one day uh, be the beneficiary of those assets? Or is it preserving assets for just in case they're needed for 24-7 uh, care at end of life? And those are the types of things that while someone's relatively young and relatively healthy, if the full menu of planning opportunities is available, then preferences may eliminate them through a process of elimination uh, for example, many people don't like the idea of using home equity until and unless they absolutely need to. Others may be of the mindset that the home equity isn't uh, as liquid or as efficient, so they may downsize taking equity from the home and choosing to rent so that they have the use of the capital. Again, that's a compromise and a preference item, but uh, one that I think each person would want to understand how it pertains in their world and in their life, and any stakeholders, children, business partners, spouse, etc., um, to decide on what's the best use of those particular resources. One more thing before I get off that topic is whether to begin taking from an IRA first and deferring Social Security longer, or throwing Social Security first and allowing the IRA to go longer. Either way, there's, you know, uh, a compromise being made. And so, depending on the assumptions that are built in, that can help someone come to a conclusion. And once that decision's made, then they're living with it. So those are some of the examples that are hopefully very familiar to many people. Um, maybe some on the call still have an elderly parent that's living, and some of those resources may be needed to help deal with uh, an aging parent. Um, it's very, I'd say, specific to individual circumstances uh, and very personal where no one wants to be judged on their decisions or preference. And so for those reasons, uh, many times these are very private matters 
that uh, necessarily people would like to know what's available without revealing the medications that they take or health conditions that they're living with or how much how much they've saved in their retirement account uh, until and unless um, they, they feel that there's a need to reveal those uh, uh, types of information. So much of what we talked about today is available at your fingertips through the computer, through the smartphone, uh, without having to, you know, kind of, you know, get too deep into the uh, personal specifics. But as a guide, some of those things can help people to uh, become familiar with the topics and know where to go when they have a particular need or a specific question. Let me add that all of this was intended to be general education in nature, and please don't uh, make an immediate uh, uh, decision on anything without uh, talking to you know, trusted advisors, family members, and carefully consider, considering how this fits into your own personal circumstances. We have another uh, great question from Steve. If you have long-term care insurance, should you keep it? Generally speaking, yes. Um, it makes me wonder why you would not. Um, if someone had the uh, means to self-insure, meaning they had enough money, they could pay for it themselves and not need the insurance, there's an argument to be made that could cancel the premium, cancel the insurance coverage and save the premium and expose the personal savings or capital to self-insure if, if needed. Uh, many who are in that category uh, choose to protect their assets by budgeting in the premium and letting the insurance company carry the risk so that their assets can go to charitable organizations, churches, children, and other beneficiaries that they'd like to you know, maintain control of, of those dollars. But again, it's a very personal decision. Um, if not for having the uh, uh, long-term care insurance in place, then what would be the plan otherwise? Um, you know, again, that's a very personal thing. It, can tell stories and some are outlined in the book of people that renovated uh, like an in-law suite to accommodate uh, an older family member. In that specific circumstance, it was the husband's mother who came to live with them. Then the husband died and his widow had his mother-in-law living with her. And then there's a story that goes along with that. It's a, it's a very real story and uh, uh, was helpful in sharing some of the possibilities that, you know, your parents or parents or in-laws uh, may outlive you and or your spouse. And so what happens in those circumstances, right? Um, they may be living under one roof in a multi-generational situation. Uh, that could be the individual who planned on their own retirement and had dreams of playing golf and traveling and doing other things, it's now a, a caregiver, or it could be the other way around where they are uh, facing a health event and an adult child of their own is providing care for them. Um, there are all kinds of circumstances that are possible. Again, it's difficult to think of what they all might be and prepare for every contingency, but having a general uh, plan in place and deciding which assets are going to go where and which have 
a purpose for your own income and which are designed to go to uh, a beneficiary later uh, can factor into that, uh, into that decision. Any other questions? Quiet group. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And again, I know that Craig, you touched on. Again, this is just generalized information. It's it's not um, advice to be taken. That you obviously want to talk to your current financial advisor, uh, financial planner, um, and talk things through with them. But um, you know, Craig did give his um, contact information. If you do want a second opinion, just to get an idea from somebody, um, you can also contact um, you know myself, Mary Beth, or Kathy. Um, and we can give you his um, contact information as well. If anyone would like um, a link to um, his book on Amazon, or if you'd like um, to see the presentation, we can absolutely send that to you as well. Just let us know. Right. Well, thank you so much, um, Craig. This is fantastic, very um, informative. Um, and again, if anyone has questions or wants to talk to Craig personally, um, just let us know and reach out. Thank you to everybody who was able to join us um, today and um, for our presentations. Um, this was our last one, so um, I'm sure we um, have some more things coming in the next few months with um, presentations. Um, and um, if you want to, we are offering the virtual tours, so you can still see us. Um, even though you can't come in person right now, um, it's still um, a super echo All right. Well, thank you so much, everybody. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you. I hope everyone has a good day. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Go recording is off. <laughs>